Father God, thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself. You are a God who loves to be known, and you fully revealed yourself to us in HD through Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that we have the Gospels, which explain who you were and some of the significant things you did in your life. Thank you for your encounter with Zacchaeus, Lord. May we learn from it in our own lives and apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. So Zacchaeus, that's uh, Luke 19. We're going to read verse 1 through to 10, and I'm going to read again and explain. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, The story of Zacchaeus, I'm going to give us some lessons at the end, but it's very much a story of who Jesus is and how he interacts with people, how he reaches out, how he seeks the lost, and how he saves the lost. So in this story, we see Jesus' mission, which also becomes our mission. The second thing we see uh, in this story is who Zacchaeus is and what a changed life looks like. So when we encounter Jesus in that life-changing, life-saving way when we hear the gospel, over time we will look different from who we used to be. Over time, we will think differently, believe differently, act differently. But let's look at the text now as I read through the verses. Uh, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. It's the only time in the New Testament this phrase chief tax collector is used. Now, people know, uh, if you've studied the Bible before, that tax collectors were really unpopular in Jerusalem. The Roman Empire was enormous, and it took a huge amount of funding to keep it going. And Jewish people hated having to pay taxes to the Roman Empire. To them, they were giving their money to a secular institution which uh, really promoted pagan gods. So they hated paying taxes. It was something that was, caused great uh, ethical problems for them. Do we pay taxes? Do we not pay taxes? And Zacchaeus is a Jewish tax collector. We know this at the end. It said he was a son of Abraham. But think about this. This is someone who is working on behalf of the Roman Empire, plundering his own people. So he was super 
unpopular. The only modern-day kind of equivalent I can think of, uh, at the end of World War II, when France was liberated from the German occupiers, some people who had kind of uh, formed alliances with the occupying German force, they were humiliated and treated badly in a very, very public way. Like they were considered traitors, like you've totally betrayed your people. And so Zacchaeus, every time people see him, they think he is this representation of a traitor, of a coward, of a turncoat. And not only was he just a tax collector, he was chief tax collector. And not only was he collecting taxes, he was ripping people off as well. This is a great way to make myself rich, he is thinking. But here, verse 3, he still wanted to see who Jesus was. He goes, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. When I was reading this, I was kind of imagining Danny DeVito kind of standing on tip-tops trying to see stuff. So keep Danny in mind. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. A lesson from Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. There was that desire, but it wasn't immediately possible. He had to do something to be able to see Jesus. He had to persevere against what was a a natural circumstance. And he climbed a tree to get a better view of Jesus. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Jesus still loves this Jewish turncoat, this Jewish traitor, this person who has been ripping off his beloved children. Jesus' love is not conditional. He loves Zacchaeus, and he takes the initiative. Now, Jesus has the advantage of being all-knowing. No one said, hey, that's Zacchaeus, but he looked up and said, Zacchaeus held his eyes, held the gaze, reached out to him, initiated the relationship. It's another way of explaining grace is where God initiates a relationship. It says, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Imagine the delight for Zacchaeus. Just tremendous delight. Uh, So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, people do not like it, particularly when you see someone who feels really rotten, getting something, a tremendous blessing. Like if one of your friends gets a promotion, if one of your friends does really well, you think, I can really celebrate with them. If there's someone who is a double-crossing, no-good person, keeps like climbing the ladder socially and corporately, it's just really disappointing. So the reaction of the people is entirely understandable. And they're kind of really bothered, annoyed, probably a bit envious. So all people saw this and began to mutter, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. So here is someone who's potentially the Messiah. This is God. And he's going to have hospitality with a sinner? It doesn't make sense. How can something uh, so white be connected to something so dark? How can something that gives so much life be alongside something that gives so much death and despair. 
And we see what Jesus' uh, Zacchaeus' reaction was. We do not know if this is in the house uh, when he welcomed Jesus or after the dinner. It doesn't say. It's not entirely relevant. But Zacchaeus' reaction is, verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up. Not a tall guy, but he's saying, this is me. He's declaring a changed life. He stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. It's not just half of what he's ripped off people. It's half of everything he has. He knows that the response to extravagant grace, the forgiveness that Jesus gives, is this radical extravagance response back. And he gives them to the poor. And he says here, no, that this is a really repentant person. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Uh, when I became a Christian, uh, I used to steal from my parents as a, a late teenager uh, to satisfy some kind of drug habit that I had. When I became a Christian, I had to sit them down and explain that to them and say, I want to pay that back. Uh, they said, that's very kind. You can give it to a charity. I was not saying I want to pay four times that back. <laughs> and I had a changed life. Zacchaeus, this is a tremendously changed life. You almost see people that are so passionately the opposite of living a godly life, when they have an encounter with God, can be passionately so much for him. That's why you see so many people in recovery ministry. They have a tremendous all-or-nothing character. They love pleasure. And it just turns two degrees into an all-or-nothing relationship with Jesus. And it's all. And they love pleasure, and they're connected to the most joy-giving, pleasure-giving relationship they will ever have. And then Jesus says to him, clearly in front of other people, today... Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. The teaching here, Jesus is saying, hey, you may hate Zacchaeus for being a chief tax collector, but he is, he is one of you as well. But he's saying salvation has come today. Jesus is saying in another way, salvation isn't through birth alone. The Jewish people thought they were born into this covenant relationship with God. Jesus is saying, no, today. So you can already see in his teaching, he's saying faith in God. Faith in me is what matters, not which family you were born into. And then verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Uh, there are a lot of lost people in the world around us. As we look here today, all of us, one time, were lost. But the strange thing happens, the longer we're in the faith, sometimes that hunger to seek and save the lost gets diminished. Each one of you, wherever you live, you are perfectly placed with the relationships around you to start investing in people, to start seeking the lost. I became a pastor, or wanted to become a pastor soon after coming to faith. What I didn't realize was, that's going to take me out of lots of non-Christian relationships and plonk me firmly in a Christian community. 
at times I feel being a pastor is an inhibition to evangelistic opportunities. It's not a, a measure of maturity that someone becomes a pastor, not at all. The measure of Christian maturity is taking on Jesus' mission for ourselves. We can do that at the age of five. We can do that at the age of 95. So here are some lessons uh, just from how Jesus interacted that I'd like us to consider for ourselves uh, as we're dealing with people that are not yet saved. So Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. Knowing someone's name, where you work, where you're at school, uh, where you shop, whether it's a doctor or a dentist, wherever, knowing someone's name makes the world of difference. Apparently, there's no sweeter sound than our own names being called. Now, Jesus was omniscient. He kind of knew Zacchaeus' name. We will have to make the effort of asking people's name and then writing it down. As a pastor, you have to be really good at remembering names. So each time you meet someone, I try and hear it twice. When I first heard it, someone might say Mark, and I think they've said Matthew because of my hearing loss. Uh, Then I'll make sure I've said it twice so I can remember it. But it takes an effort. It's not like some people are good at remembering names, some people aren't. Uh, It's important for some people to remember names, and it's less important to some others not to. So know someone's name. Second thing, be ready for criticism. Jesus was out there in the world. He says to his disciples, be in the world, but not of the world. You may go to bars with people. You may be invited around someone's house, and some stuff is happening that wouldn't normally happen around a Christian's house. God is not saying to you, run for your life. He's saying to you, be a good witness here. Don't take on what they're doing, but be there. Show that whoever the person is, that they matter to me by showing that they matter to you. Third thing we get from Zacchaeus is this complete life change. Now, it doesn't always happen dramatically, but the Christian life is a commitment each day to live like a Christian would. Does that make sense? Each day you may have to do something you don't want to do. Each day you may have to repent for something that uh, you didn't want to do. Each day you may ask for help doing something that you should be doing. But it looks like a decision every day to live as a Christian would live. And the fourth lesson that we can get. Oh, sorry, I was reading the wrong bits. Sorry. Uh, Be available I'm going to backtrack. Sorry. Lessons from Jesus. Be available. Two, initiate a relationship. Three, know their name. Four, meet on their turf. And five, ignore criticism. Sorry. I was looking at the wrong post-it note. So be available. Initiate the relationship. Know their name. Meet on their turf, whether it's a bar, whether it's at the side of a sports field, whether it's around someone's house. Uh, And then finally, be ready to ignore criticism. Now, if you're in a discipleship relationship and over time someone has noticed a really unhealthy pattern in your life, don't ignore that. But this is if you are living the life that Christ lived, just like him, there'll be a ton of criticism. People do not like being made aware of their shortcomings. 
Before I was a Christian, I worked with a Christian. I really didn't like her because by the way she lived, it made me realize that there's an alternative way to the selfish way that I was living. And whether intentional or not, I thought it made me look bad. And so I kind of persecuted her in different ways. So if you're living like Jesus, you will get criticism from within the church. I am sorry for that, but you just need to be prepared for it. Uh, If we live like this, we will be able to agree with 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Let's see if I can find that in here. It says this. Uh, So Paul, Silas, and Timothy are writing to the church in Thessalonica. And Paul is saying, uh, as a pastor, he's saying, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Now, this is what the Apostle Paul is able to say. Verse 8, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. They demonstrated their love by sharing the gospel of God, but their lives as well. There's no such thing as being a Christian in isolation. Hospitality to non-believers is key to the Christian faith. Spending time with non-believers is key to the Christian faith. It's how we seek and save the lost by pointing them to Jesus. It's really weird to tell someone what you believe without having listened first. Like non-believer, as I was for a long period of time, it's kind of offensive when someone shares their beliefs with you. It's kind of like talking about your intimate life when you talk about spiritual things. If you take an interest in someone, as one of the people that first took an interest in me before I was a Christian, it just makes perfect sense then that we ask back, hey, so what do you believe? And if we've invited someone into our lives, it's much easier to invite them to church. Uh, I keep using this application, three, two, one. I'm going to keep using it because it's really helpful. Three. The next week or two weeks, learn three new names. Remember three new names. Secondly, two. Have two significant conversations. Like, how are you? Waiting for the response and being curious and compassionate. And the one, pray with one person. Like be with them and pray with them. That would be our application for the week. There's nothing more Christian than sharing a meal with someone. Shortly after Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, he was in the upper room sharing communion. It's just two chapters later in Luke. And when Jesus is sharing communion, he's giving them a foresight of what he is going to do, that he's going to give his life to people, that he's going to have his blood shed for people. Like it's one thing to do something sacrificial for someone you love. It's entirely different to die for someone who doesn't like you. And Jesus shares communion even with Judas, I'll just read some from Luke, I think it's 21, 22, 22, verse 19. This is in the upper room. Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He hinted at that new covenant with Zacchaeus, like today salvation has come. It's by faith in Jesus, not just by default. Uh, We're going to celebrate communion now. This is the one part of our church service that is not entirely accessible to everyone. So we want to remove barriers to the gospel. When you come here, we will teach and try and meet you where your faith is at. But communion is reserved for people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. Now, if as a child and a parent thinks your child has put their faith and trust in Jesus, please, they're allowed to take communion with us. If you're not there yet in your faith, so that means that you haven't trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you haven't... uh, committed your life to following him. If you're not there yet, that's fine. I would say that Jesus is calling out to you. I would say if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you will never regret it, regardless of the hardships that may come your way. But we'd love for you to celebrate communion. We're going to have Mark and Jim at the front giving out communion. I'm going to ask Dan to come up. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond. Jesus, thank you that you are Lord of all. Thank you that you initiate relationships. Thank you that you call each one of us by name. Each person here, Lord, there's times when we don't even know where you are, and we're thinking, are you paying attention? You called us by name even before we were formed in our mother's womb. And thank you that by grace, as a gift, we can have faith in you. Thank you, Jesus, that you ignored criticism. Thank you that you were radically, graciously hospitable. Help us to become more like you by not only sharing this meal with you now in remembrance of your love for us, but help us to become more hospitable too this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.